Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Bobby Jameson to the podcast. Bobby serves as an associate pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Today, he joins me as we discuss his most recent book, The Path to Being a Pastor, A Guide for the Aspiring. Bobby, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thanks so much for having me. Listen, I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Uh, first and foremost, your book itself, I've been able to look over it. And uh, in fact, I think I blurbed it for you uh, uh, last you year. You did. Yeah. Right okay. the inside covers. That's right. I thought I did. And uh, anyway, been looking forward to this conversation, also to getting to catch up with you a little bit. Now, do you remember the first time we met? I think it was at Tyndall House in Cambridge when you were there for a summer visit. No, I, I reconnected with it you there, before. but clearly oh, you made. We would have met at, oh, we would have met at Southern when you were vice president or whatever it was, and I was a student. Bobby, we met earlier than that. We met in Mark. No, there it is. I'm sorry. You're talking about my memory. We met in Mark Dever's study. I think your wife was there. Now it's coming back to me. That's I right. Was either an in, I was either an intern. There we go. Sorry. Hey, clearly you made more of an impression on me than I made on you. No, so I, I can I remember the evening very vividly. I was there with my wife Karen. We were in the in Washington D.C. for um, just kind of a personal trip for a few days, and we popped by, visit with Mark. And of course, Mark always has a posse around him. You were in that, and that night you played the saxophone oh, for the group. Wow. Now, is that something you do often, okay. or was that it? Was that a one-off thing? <laughs> that is so funny. The memory's coming back to me. I remember you in Mark's study. No, that I mean, in a in a previous life, I was a jazz saxophonist. That's what I was actually preparing to do for my whole life. It's all that I wanted to do. And so when I came to DC, I was fresh out of studying music as an undergrad. Once in a while, I would play music in Mark's study because Mark, Mark likes to be entertained. He always has music on. If he can get live music, so much the better. But uh, I haven't done a whole lot of that lately. Okay. Well, that was a fun conversation, a fun evening, and it's been <laughs> It's been a joy to touch base with you, not often, but periodically over the years. Yes, did see you there at Tyndall House a few years ago, and uh, delighted you're back here uh, at the church there in Washington, D.C., and uh, also maintaining a broader writing ministry. Along those lines, we're talking today, again, about your book, uh, The Path to Being a Pastor, A Guide for the Aspiring. But before we get to that, give us a few words of update on your family, your ministry, what's new perhaps at Capitol Hill. Sure. And uh, anything else that may be on your mind? Yeah, thanks for asking, brother. Uh, married to Kristen, uh, we have four kids, ages 11 to 2. They'll be starting up school again in a week or two. Um, uh, been here at CHBC as an associate pastor for four years. Uh, and as you mentioned, I had a season of training. I came for our internship and stuck around for a couple years after that. That was 2008 to 10. Uh, so my role is overall preaching and teaching, uh, generalist associate pastor, and kind of special focus on training pastors and sending them out, uh, our internship, and then working with other local churches to plant and revitalize. Um, yeah, I'm I, in terms of a personal update, I'm fresh off a two-month sabbatical, which I'm very grateful to our congregation for. Uh, so I feel very well rested, eager to get back into ministry. And I'm teaching from Romans 6 in our Bible study tonight. So looking forward to that. Well, praise God for that. May the Lord use you this evening with the saints there. Thank so, you, brother. Yeah, so let's talk about the book. And, and again, we don't really have to, uh, to draw direct lines from the book to practical application for those listening. And by the way, our listeners tend to be pastors, local church ministers, seminary students, uh, those who are in pastoral ministry, those who are aspiring to pastoral ministry, those who are in conversation with those aspiring to pastoral ministry. So this book naturally tees, up, tees us up for conversation uh, in which we can zig and zag 
And sure. uh, the applications will be very natural and intuitive for our listeners. So sure. the book itself, though, uh, tell me tell me what like prompted you to write the book and what you're hoping to accomplish through it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think the need or opportunity is that, uh, for one thing, I oversee our internship here at Capitol Hill Baptist. So that's six men for a semester at a time. So we have two classes per year. We get them full time. We get them housing. We pay them enough to live on. And we just uh, give them a feast of ecclesiology and of observing the church. And um, we get them in all kinds of stages from, you know, pastors kind of taking a sabbatical to come here all the way down to 22-year-old guys fresh out of college type of a thing. And, you know, in trying to mentor those guys, there's there's um, a number of com- common conversations that kept coming up, uh, a number of key points that kept coming up. And, and one of the perspectives that kind of emerged for me was oftentimes it's just a long and complicated process from a first inkling of desire and maybe gifts and promise for pastoral ministry to then winding up, which many men, you know, aspire to, kind of the main preaching pastor of a church. That could be a long process, twisting and turning complicated. And so I kind of wanted to just put together something simple. You know, it's it's basic, it's accessible. It's kind of like 28 conversations over coffee type of a book Um, that can really go from the beginnings of assessing that desire all the way through to questions like, how do I decide what, what church to work for? What, what opportunity to pursue, uh, dealing with candidating for a church even. Um, So yeah, trying to go from kind of beginning to end of walking that path. Well, you do such a nice job of that, and I love how you've even framed it about you know a guide for the aspiring. And you know when you read First Timothy three, for instance, verse one, uh, Paul uses that word aspiration. And uh, I guess help me to understand how intentional that word is in the title of the book and uh, thematically throughout the book. Like, like why you chose that word to to identify or to describe this classification of of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Um... That's a good observation, and you, you are onto something in that that is kind of a key word and key theme. So it's right there in First Timothy 3.1, if any man aspires to the work of an overseer, he desires a noble task. And part of what I'm responding to and I'm trying to kind of surgically get at is that I think oftentimes the, the language of calling can have a little bit of a danger or liability if, if what it leads a brother to think is, uh, my desire is sufficient. You know, I want to do this. I feel led by God to do this. Therefore, everybody get out of my way. Now, there's much more responsible ways people can use that calling language in terms of an internal call, an external call, desire plus uh, assessment and affirmation and so on. Uh, But I focus on that word aspiration because it, it sort of puts you before the qualifications for the office like a mirror uh, to say, do I measure up? Um, and I think it, it, it points to the fact that you are aspiring to become a certain kind of person, namely a man who's qualified for this office uh, of being a pastor, elder, overseer. Uh, and oftentimes, of course, that aspiration is, well, I would love to give myself to this full time. I'd love to give my you know, best hours of the day to this work, which puts kind of a further burden or obligation on uh, your level of gifting, your, your uh, gifts of teaching, leadership, and so on. And so, yeah, that aspiration, in a sense, I'm trying to draw out a common thread of Uh, pursue holiness in your character, pursue experience and development of those gifts in real ministry context, uh, pursue, you know, growing in the knowledge of the word, and and in a sense, uh, leave the rest and the outcome and the timing to God. That's that's the message I'm trying to get across with that little word aspire. You know, there is uh, so much in in verse one of 1 Timothy chapter three, and it's so instructive, and I can't help but be, hopefully briefly, (laughs) autobiographical at this point, because I've written about this in other places and spoken of it. For many of us, uh, 
generationally in evangelicalism, uh, for me more specifically in the Southern Baptist Church context, the call to ministry was presented for, you know, kind of in the late 20th century and perhaps previous to that. The phrase surrender to ministry was used all the time. Surrender to ministry, surrender to ministry, surrender to ministry. And and even from the pulpit, as the pastor would kind of probe the hearts and consciences of the people of God, is God calling you to surrender to ministry? And as an adolescent there, uh, I would hear that. And, and, you know, as a teenager, wondering what does that mean? You know, what, what all is loaded into that phrase, surrender to ministry? And I began to develop this, this inaccurate but, but pretty settled uh, conviction that, that that meant that one is not to desire the ministry. One does not aspire to the mm. ministry. In fact, to aspire the, to the ministry is a sign of pride, is a sign of uh, this is some, some personal endeavor you're wanting to set upon, not something God's calling you to do. And so, so I developed it as a late teen and, and actually into my college season um, this understanding that, that like, if you're going to ministry, you're running from God, you don't desire it, you don't desire it. He catches you. He, he tackles you, spiritually speaking. He bends your will to him. You ultimately, you know, like Jonah, you relent. You just, you just cave into God. You, you just surrender, and you embark upon this life you really didn't want to do. Now, that really was problematic for me because I spent a couple of years wrestling with the call to ministry, trying to harmonize what was taking place in my own life, this desire for the work of ministry with this understanding that that was ill-placed, that was, that was uh, ill-founded, and that was problematic, and I should not be desiring the ministry. Now, my uh, moment of clarity came through a, a friend in the faith who was an older brother in ministry by, by about a year. But again, when you're, when you're 20 and he's 21 and been in ministry a year longer, he's like the fount <laughs> of wisdom, right? And, uh, and he, gave me, uh, he gave me the book by Spurgeon, Lectures to My Students, and he pointed me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Spurgeon lectures to my students, the first sign or the first mark of a call to ministry is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. And for me, in a, a pretty condensed season, both of those factors, obviously Scripture being more important, but both of those registered with me in such a way that I, I had this aha moment that not only is this desire for ministry, not only is it not inappropriate, it is actually essential to the call to ministry. Now, there's more to it than that, of course. Local church affirmation, biblical qualifications, we'll move to those momentarily. But to me, it, it, was, it was just so revealing and clarifying and liberating for me. And it was this transformative moment in my college years. And I get into that more in my book on the call to ministry, uh, Discerning Your Call to Ministry, that's, that I put out with Moody about five years ago. But I love how you trace that. Again, It's a great starting point. It's an essential aspect, but there is more to it than that. It is not one's personal sense of being called, not one's personal sense of aspiration, which leads us to then help us, Bobby, help our listeners to think about how that that aspiration, uh, that, that, that desire, how that must be harmonized with Biblical qualifications, character, the ability to teach, and then and then we'll move secondarily to local church affirmation and involvement. Sure, yeah, I appreciate that. And um, I think if we're talking about uh, 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 how to um, sort of calibrate that desire or assess it uh, in light of the biblical qualifications, you know, here's here is what a man must be if he is to be an elder of a church. That's First Timothy three. Titus 1, and it's primarily character qualifications, with the only clear exception is, is being apt to teach, 1 Timothy 3.2, Titus 1.9, 1 
giving instruction and sound doctrine and refuting those who contradict it. Um, so there, it's, it's fundamentally conformity to Christ and consistently Christian character. Also teaching, because that's the primary task of being a pastor. That's the primary means of your ministry. Um, and, you know, one that kind of falls in between is managing a household, which is a matter both of character and competence. And, of course, Paul uses that to say if someone can't manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? It's just kind of a practical test of leadership there. Uh, and, and in that sense, I mean, just to put it bluntly, here's, here's the job description and the prerequisites. Um, so there, you know, it takes discernment uh, to and and it takes um, uh, ultimately, I think, eyes other than your own looking in on your character and gifting. Uh, but I would just say, if if that's your desire, if you if you you know, when you're hearing preaching and you're listening and you're not just benefiting, but you're thinking, I want to do that, uh, then kind of focusing on the character qualifications, focusing on the the uh, the qualifications of the office of elder, is what I would encourage you to just sort of give yourself to pray, meditate, talk to your pastors. Uh, open up and say, do you see me growing in these areas? Are there any kind of glaring faults? Uh, how can I pursue greater conformity to Christ in these areas? And uh, how can I start to grow in my handling of God's Word? So I do think there's just kind of a, a clear objectivity about if you want to do this work, uh, here's the kind of man God calls you to become. Right, and how indispensable that is. I remember so well reading a number of years ago a, a publication from a from a seminary in another denomination, another denomination that is very much to the left theologically of, of where, say, Midwestern Seminary is. And, uh, you know, when you're seminary president, you get all this mail, you get, you get these institutional puff pieces all the time, institutional magazines and whatnot. And usually I often glance through those for a moment or two to, to see what's taking place out in the broader landscape. Well, anyway, th- this institution was, um, was kind of congratulating itself for, for being so welcoming and affirming to homosexual students. And they had a big feature story on one homosexual student, and uh, there was a quote in there in that, in that article that really caught my eye. And the homosexual student said, I wasn't expecting the institution to say you're, you're gay and we, affirm, and we affirm that. I was expecting them to say um, you're called to ministry and we affirm you. And what registered with me in that moment is that student and that institution, for that matter, as well, were willing to draw this great divide between biblical qualifications, frankly dismissing those, mm but also one's internal subjective sense of being called, dividing the two. And, uh, and look, that's a dangerous place to be because there are these clear biblical moral qualifications that individuals must meet, not just a one-time threshold to cross, but an ongoing accountability to God's Word and God's people and one of the essential signs uh, that one is indeed qualified for ministry. Now, the adjudicators of that, those who review that, those who see that, that is not just a self-reflection, right? That's not just like, open my Bible. Yes, I should open my Bible to the pastoral epistles and to Titus 1, 6 through 9 and 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Every minister ought to do that regularly and be challenged. But ultimately, our measuring up to those texts on qualifications, it's not left to us to assess whether or not we measure up. In the New Testament, we see that the elders play a part in that, and, and ultimately, the local church is responsible for those pastors it calls to serve itself. Is that right? Yes, amen. Uh, ultimately, a congregation is responsible to call a pastor and accountable for the pastors they call. You know, Paul, Paul doesn't write Galatians trying to rescue them from heresy uh, to the pastors of the churches in the region of Galatia. He writes to the congregations directly. Uh, so he's holding them accountable for the kind of teaching they're listening to, uh, which implies they, they have the responsibility uh, to call the right kind of pastors who are faithful to God's Word in both their teaching and their living. 
And so since that responsibility rests with the congregation, uh, ultimately that's the test the brother's going to have to pass if he wants the church to hire him. And so I think part of that uh, growth toward the office, part of that growth in the qualifications is, uh, especially in a local church where you're, where you're a member, and especially in the church where they can see you well enough over time to actually get a real sense of your character and gifts, uh, to just sort of uh, increasingly, step-by-step, step, exercise more and more public ministry. Of course, serving behind the scenes is crucial, uh, but also ministering in such a way that people can give you feedback uh, on your teaching, your preaching, how you're pouring into people spiritually. And uh, I think the more sort of layers of confirmation you can get, uh, you know, it's great if you just encourage your friend and somebody you're discipling and they benefit. Okay, well, then what about a, maybe a Sunday school class you're teaching or a youth group if you're doing evangelistic preaching? Or, okay, well, then what about maybe teaching, uh, you know, an occasional Sunday morning sermon if there's the opportunity to do that? Kind of growing circles of uh, more and more people being able to give you feedback and affirm uh, both your competence and your character. This can look different depending on the size of the church, the needs in the church, where a brother's at. Uh, but I would encourage any any man who aspires to pastor to actively seek that out, both the opportunities to minister uh, and feedback, and particularly from pastors. I think this can be hard. Weirdly, some pastors seem to view that aspiration to ministry as uh, maybe a threat, as if someone's gunning for your job, or that this is somehow a personal matter, like an attack even. Um, but I think ideally, you want to be in a church where the pastors are eager to raise up other pastors, whether to serve alongside or to send out. And so, you know, circumstances vary. I can think of godly and gifted brothers who yearned for that kind of feedback and found it hard to get. Um, but I would say pray for that, seek it out, and do whatever you can, even if it might mean slowing your plans down. Uh, do whatever you can to be in a church for a season where they can get to know you well enough to speak meaningfully into uh, that sense of desire, which, as you said, uh, is necessary but not sufficient. Yeah, and I want to get into the weeds a little bit here with you, Bobby. And again, this is we're kind of geeking sure. out here ecclesiologically. And That's uh, fine. That's I wanna, what we do. Yeah, I want our listeners to stay with us for a moment. <laughs> and uh, and this is not like a bee in my bonnet, but it is, it is a point that I think is important to uh, to at least touch on occasionally because there's such kind of misunderstanding and ambiguity in free church traditions, including in our in our Baptist tradition, about about kind of how we recognize, how we how we establish, how we set apart individuals whom the Lord is calling to, the, to a particular congregation of pastor. And again, I want to go back to 1 Timothy 3 for a moment. You know, Paul says again, if any man aspires to the work of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. If any man aspires to the office of the overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. And we often think of that as kind of the office, but, but notice Paul says there in verse 1, it's a fine work he desires to do. It's, a, it's an mm-hmm. undertaking. Mm-hmm. And we best know who is in the office by who is actually doing the work of ministry. And, and here's the point I want to press in. I often see churches that, uh, again, naively, sweetly, well-intended, find themselves ordaining or, or setting apart or installing, you know, however you want to, to label that, whatever nomenclature the congregation uses, like setting a people apart for kind of this futuristic ministry. So it's often mm. like this, oh, 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 Bobby's called a seminary. We see that in Bobby. Um, uh, Bobby, we believe Bobby's called to ministry, so Bobby's moving to seminary in two months, so we're going to ordain Bobby because he's going to seminary, and kind of like, kind of send off that way for some futuristic ministry. And, and I would argue that, that no, I mean, again, that, that's well-intended, that's sweet, but actually we need to actually lay hands on someone when they're actually 
stepping into that ministry role. Not, not a hypothetical ministry, not a futuristic ministry, but actually officially affirm in the ultimate sense for the work of ministry when they're actually, well, in the work of ministry. Do you agree? I agree with you 100%. I think there are no uh, ongoing uh, offices in the New Testament church that are extra local, meaning that they go beyond an individual local congregation. Uh, if a church is recognizing you to occupy the office of pastor, elder, overseer, uh, and to do that work among them, uh, then yeah, you are being set apart. We tend to use the language of recognition, affirmation, uh, even insulation for our elders. Um, yeah, and I agree with you 100% that there's no sort of in-between or forward-looking office where somehow you have a kind of conferral of authority, uh, but it is not tied to actually serving this particular local church where you are. Now, I appreciate, and we try to do this as a church, you know, I appreciate, um, you know, supporting brothers. We help pay for their seminary. We pray for them. We keep in touch with them. But there's no sense in which we're conferring an office on them or some type of uh, official recognition by doing that. that. That's up to a church that's going to call them to be their pastor, we hope, someday. Right. Well, listen, time has just flown by here, and uh, there was so much more hope to get to within the context of your book. Um, so let me just try to pull this together, though, with maybe maybe a final question or two. Um, as you see you know, young men in particular wrestling with this, sorting out their desire for the ministry, perhaps a common pitfall or two or three that you would encourage them to avoid? Sure. Yeah. Uh, one of those would be um, uh, just taking a kind of any ministry job because it's offered to you without thinking very carefully about uh, the character of the, the pastors you'd be working with. Uh, frankly, how healthy the church is and how like-minded you are. Uh, it's one thing to simply be a, be a member of the church where you should have active responsibility and be contributing to the ministry, but it's a higher level of kind of practical agreement you need to actually be working together for your job, that's going to put a lot more pressure on any areas of philosophical disagreement. And so, yeah, I think especially if it's kind of an associate pastor role, that's one where I've seen again and again, you know, well-intentioned, thought we could work together, but maybe should have asked harder questions about real nuts and bolts of ministry philosophy. Uh, so that's, that's certainly one of the pitfalls I've seen. Uh, another pitfall I've seen is the kind of... Um, uh, eventual retirement plan that's assumed where it's, hey, it's, it's an aging pastor who's served faithfully. He feels like he's coming up on retirement. He wants to bring you on as an associate. It's not written down. It's not nailed down. But, you know, a couple of years, I'll hand it over. And then it drags on for 20. <laughs> oh, I've seen that so many times. And again, I don't think it's like, you know, an intended conspiracy by the, by the elder pastor. But look, hey, <laughs> Retirement can be tough. Knowing when to let it go can be tough. And uh, one day, I understand. one day, I'm sure I too will have to wrestle with that, and, and, pro and probably won't handle it well. But I mean, I know guys who went when they were 32 as the you know heir apparent, or even uh, <laughs> the expected heir, heir presumptive, and uh, and then you know 14 years later, they're still the young guy wait, waiting in the wings. And so, oh man, <laughs> like your old life passes while that happens. Yeah. Just one one last question for you: What final word of encouragement would you give for the aspiring pastor? Yeah, I think I would have to just go with the exhortation I closed the book with, which is to cherish Christ. Uh, love Christ more than you love serving Him in public. Uh, love Christ more than you love telling other people about Him. Love Christ more than you love the idea of being recognized as a public servant of Christ. Uh, if you continue to fix your heart on Christ, uh, that will be the highest priority, the kind of mountain peak that this other stuff flows downhill from. Uh, so I would encourage you, whatever maybe frustrations or disappointments uh, or delays you encounter, I would encourage you to keep pursuing Christ uh, as the foundation for trying to serve Him in ministry. 
Bobby, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. It's been a delight to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.